Well, during culinary school, I was in my second or third class, and I, I caught the attention of one of our, you can call him the executive chef of the school. And what we did was every single week, we would open up for one night only a restaurant to the public. And it was so well known that the reservations actually booked up for a year and a half in advance. And so it was this time, we would go around the stations of the kitchen so we can get used to each and everything, kind of get figure out what it's like to work in an actual restaurant. And it was my time to be on the steak section. And so what that meant is I would have to come up with a special and then cook it for the staff, cook it for the teachers, and then present that to everyone that would come in the restaurant. And it was just this time, I, I mean, I can cook a mean steak at home on the grill, but this is something totally different. I was not used to this restaurant experience. And so I put forward this special, and the staff liked it. So they began to recommend it to every single table that came into the restaurant that night. What would you, like to, what would you recommend tonight? What do you think I should order? Oh, the steak's great. Let's do that. So 67 of the 70 orders that came in that night were for the steak dish. And so I put my head down. I just got ready. I started to cook. Hour after hour went by. And it's like an orchestra. You would just put it forward and go and put your head down, keep doing more. Until one moment, I was getting tired because it's a lot of standing. There's flames everywhere. It's hot. And I lost track of one dish. And I let it cook a little too long, but I didn't realize it because I was so tired. And I put it up to what's called the pass. And that's pretty much where you put the food up and the executive chef tries it and then sends it on its merry little way. And I remember him looking at the steak, and I turned around because I wasn't paying attention. And all he does is grabs the steak by his hands and slams it down on the paper all over everything and says, this is useless to me, and throws it in the trash. And he says, make it again. And with my pride hurt, I put my head down, I began cooking all over again, and I finished off the rest of the orders. And I was cleaning up my station at the end of the night by myself, just kind of thinking about how the night went. And I saw this 70-year-old chef, this very cute little Frenchman, come over to my station. And he began to talk to me. He said, cooking is a tough game. You are going to be dedicating your life to your craft. It's demanding. You're going to stand for over a dozen hours a day, six days a week. You are going to be working. You are going to be cut. You are going to be burned. You are going to be yelled at. You are going to be blamed for everything. You are going to lose your relationships with your friends, your family. Kiss them goodbye because you are now married to your job. Holidays are going to be gone. Cooking is very demanding and tough. But for what I've seen, you have it in you. So it's going to be up to you if you answer this call, if you want to continue moving forward in what you think you want to do. And I began to think about it, and that passion was still going, and I just simply nodded. And it was from that moment on, this amazing chef, this chef that taught at the Culinary Institute of America, the pristine, premier culinary school in the United States, took me under his wing and taught me everything that he knew from there on out. And I just think about that one moment that we stood there together where if I wouldn't have 
step forward, if I wouldn't have gone all in in this passion of mine, who knows where I would have been? Someone else would have gotten the chance and I would have missed my opportunity. The same is what we do with our walk with Christ. And today as we close out our sermon series, I'm going to be talking about discipleship. But not the normal, how do we make disciples and the perfect recipe of going out and grabbing people. No, this is actually a warning. This is what it takes to move forward. This is what it takes to be a disciple. And Jesus does this beautiful warning to this group that's gathering behind him and also warning to each and every one of us of what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what a perfect time to be talking about this right now. The church has been turned upside down. Everything is in chaos. We need more people fighting for Jesus than ever. We need more people working for Jesus. Often the harvest, bringing these people in more than ever. We need people learning about Jesus to understand what our gifts are, what we're supposed to be doing than ever. Why do we need this? Because it's a world in chaos right now. And the only answer is Jesus. And why do we need this? I agree, because I want a globe. Just picture this right now. Why do we need more disciples of Jesus Christ? Because I want a globe that every single branch, whatever it is, leader is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That someone has a heart of the same as Jesus. Because those people, I'm praying, are the ones that have not only Jesus' best interest at heart, but ours as well. And that's a beautiful place to be in to run this world. So I want people to be ready. I want people to be called. You see, following Jesus is not always going to be easy. It's going to be a battle. And we need to be ready. So today's message is called Warning Signs to World Changers. The hope of this message is to encourage you, to push you, and to get some more commitment for Christ. Because let me tell you, the world desperately needs it right now, and the kingdom is begging for it. And it starts with you. You are watching this message for a reason. And so I'm an interactive preacher. I like people to respond, and we're not in service right now, so that means you have to go to the chat box. You need to go to the chat room and put right now, it starts with me. Make a public declaration right now so others can see it. All of us will be jumping along online. It starts with me. So let's get started with our scripture. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to go through verses 25 and 26. Please read with me. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Luke starts off with this picture. There is a group of people following Jesus. Many people were there. There's probably thousands following Jesus at this moment. You would think that would get them excited, right? Strolling down in the sandals through the streets. Look at this vast army behind me. People are really getting it. They're understanding my teaching. I've got all these people. This is great. The crowds just kept increasing in number. Every single stop that he went, people would be, oh, that's Jesus. Let's keep getting around him. 
Now, every pastor would love that type of congregation. Every ministry desires more followers. Pastors of large congregations, they get book deals. They get speaking arrangements all over the globe. But Jesus was different. Large crowds did not fool him. He knew that a lot of the commitment of the people behind him were, let's just say, superficial. They wanted Jesus for what they could get out of following him. They wanted to be around Jesus for all the good stuff they would get for being one of his followers. And Jesus knew they weren't following him for the right reasons. You see, quality over quantity was his desire. Recruits, not spectators, are his goal. Jesus want people sold out for him. He'd rather have, a, let's say, 12 individuals all sold out for him doing the ministry than thousands following him doing absolutely nothing. He wants people with a buy-in. He wants people ready to go to battle with him. He wants people hungry to spread this gospel message. He wanted to weed out those people that had this superficial me, me, me mentality. What do I get out of it? Because when the battle heats up, let me tell you who's not going to be there. It's the people following him. When trials start to come their way, they're the first ones out the door. It's only good to hang out with Jesus when you get something from it. So we turned to these people in great numbers and laid out this plan of discipleship. And what he did is he threw up a warning sign. He says, if you want to continue following me, this is what you have to do. Let's go back to verse 26 and lead into 27 because it goes together really well. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Wait, hold up. If, if we're to be a disciple of Jesus, we're supposed to hate everyone. I thought our mission was to love. So we're supposed to go out and love and share it everywhere that we can go, tell people about Jesus. I find it hard to believe that I would say the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus in my heart and be like, oh, I can't, brand new start. I can't wait to do this. This is so exciting. I, I just want to tell my family about it. Call up my mom and say, guess what, mom? Just got saved for Jesus. It's so exciting. My brand new life. I hate you. Happy New Year. No, what Jesus is saying is if you really get it, you want to become a disciple of Jesus. You want to be a true, do-something, world-changer for Jesus Christ, you have to make him number one in your life. That is the first step of everything, is if you want to make a difference in this world, you have to lift Jesus up. He has to be your number one priority. He has to be your hope. He has to be who you have to look to. He has to be your love. You have to put all of your attention on him, because once you do that, then it can start trickling down to others. You cannot love mama more than him. You can't love your dad or honey or babe or your uncle or your fur baby more than Jesus. So when he says you have to hate them, what he means is I need your attention. I need your focus. I need all 
of you. Our allegiance and love for him must be so great that by comparison, it looks like we hate everything else, even our own lives. If we choose someone over Jesus, we are saying that Christ is not worthy of being followed above all others. I'm going to let that sit in for a second because that, that hits right between the eyes. If we choose someone over Jesus, we're saying you're not worthy enough of being lifted up. So when we get ready to be a disciple and make that step forward, there's some tough questions that have to be asked. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means being pushed away from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your reputation or your status? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your own life? You know, some people listening to this, these questions came true. They've had to make these difficult decisions. But notice how the questions were phrased. It doesn't say you will lose all of that. You're not going to for sure lose your family, lose your friends, lose your job, lose everything just because you become a disciple. It's actually, are you willing? Jesus just wants to know you're ready to put that foot through the door and say, okay, you have the ultimate plan in mind for me. I'm willing to step through this. And if need be, I will let these things go. Jesus is saying, are you sure you want to follow me? And on top of that commitment, Christ is telling you to take up our cross daily. That means you're picking up your hopes, your dreams, your possessions, even your life if you had to, and giving it to Jesus. You're taking up your cross and you're taking your life. You are accountable for you. So everything that you do throughout the day, you are carrying that around. You are now part of the kingdom and accountable for everything you are doing. And then it's only if you're willing to take up this cross every single day, every morning you wake up, then you become a disciple. That's why bearing the cross and following Jesus is the root of discipleship. Learning from Jesus means following him, going in his footsteps, experiencing the rejection that he faced, and bearing the cross that he bore for each and every one of us. We cannot learn Jesus without being prepared to walk the same path that he went. Taking up our cross sounds like a tough thing, and it is but it's time for us to be accountable. It's time for us to make some tough choices. It's time for us to answer the call and move forward. Following Jesus is easy when life runs smoothly. Our true commitment to him is revealed during the trials. He says that in the Gospel of John. He says, trials are coming your way. Just get ready for them. Discipleship demands sacrifice, and Jesus never hid that cost. He put it right up in front of everyone and said, hey, this is what it takes. This is what's going to happen. These people following him might have heard this news and stopped following him at that moment. You know what? I don't want to be accountable for my life. I don't want to go through all of this. Maybe this wasn't all it was hyped up to be. I'm out of here. I'm just going to focus on myself. 
Reverend Billy Graham had this amazing quote, and I can picture him right now in one of those revival tents with his Bible in one hand just pointing at people. And he says, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Are you ready to make a commitment? Are you ready to make a difference? Are you ready to have some new people into your life? Are you ready to cut some people out of it? Are you ready to step out of your comfort zone? Are you ready to trust and believe? Are you ready to become a world changer? Are you just following Jesus because he seems like some cool dude? I like Jesus. Maybe I can win the lottery a little bit more often. Can we begin to look outside our own bubble and see what's around us? If you said yes, yeah, I want to follow him. This sounds great. But wait, there's more. And Jesus is warning you just a little bit more. And in verse 28 and 30, it says, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Now, there was a couple that moved in behind my parents' property in Fillmore. And they're out in the country, so there's just a lot of land out there, and people are kind of spread out. But ever since I remember, there was this parcel of land that was a horse property. We'd go up there and look at the horses, see all the cool stuff that was around there. But the owner got older and he couldn't keep up with it anymore, so he sold this land. And here was this couple, a little bit younger, but had high hopes and dreams. And so they bought this land that was... Pretty much a horse corral, uneven land, not much plumbing, not a lot of electricity. You're going to have to demolish everything. But they bought this land and they started to build. Months passed. Years passed. And there stood an unfinished home and a broken marriage. Because they saw this property and on, based off emotion, they're like, oh, we could do so much with it. But they didn't calculate everything else. They didn't get ready for the hiccups along the road. They didn't see the land that was going to be such a problem for them. They didn't get all these extra construction costs of actually bringing it out to such a remote place. They didn't calculate the fights and arguments for not having enough money to complete certain jobs. And there that property stood until another couple came along a year ago and finished their dream for them. You don't start a project unless you calculate the cost of the whole deal. Such careful thinking is important because you're strategizing. You're thinking things through. That's why Jesus is bringing up these ideas for us. He's like, think everything through before you make this decision. Sometimes we get so excited of something based off emotion that we just start running forward, not thinking about what else is behind us. We don't have time to think about the consequences in life. This is true on our walk with Christ. 
We get people into a stadium to hear testimonies from these famous athletes or these actors or these mega church pastors. And let me tell you first, I'm one of the first people to watch that. I love it. I soak it all up. So I'm just speaking off of experience. But we pack these places out. And this mega pastor is up there saying how Christ is going to change your life. And people are sitting down and they're like, yeah, I'm going to change my life right now. And they start moving forward. And that cues up the band. They play this dramatic music. And you're like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You're walking forward. You're down there. You make an invitation. You accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a whirlwind of emotion. You're like, I'm doing it. Did this person get saved? You bet they did. Because of God's grace, they got saved right at that moment. But studies show the long-term stick with it from that moment is at 10 to 15%. Because the first thing that comes their way that trips them up, they're gone. They didn't expect it. They thought everything was going to be peachy keen moving forward because they had Jesus in their lives. That's why Jesus is warning this crowd. Jesus sees this crowd gathering, this vast army for battle. And he doesn't see a bunch of soldiers. He sees a crowd of people that will run away when the enemy starts to approach or the first bad thing that happens. Jesus needs people who are ready for battle. He needs people who will fight for him and with him. You have to be ready to take that step forward. It's one of the reasons he came down and walked with us. It's one of the reasons to show that he was willing to suffer for us. It's one of the reasons he came down and died for us. He's one of the reasons he came down and we're doing this whole sermon series to see what it means for Jesus to come down, flip the script, and now we get this chance to move forward. All because of one person. He showed us time and time again what it means to face trials and move past him. He showed us what it means to put our faith into something and stand tall because he will be behind us. He showed us so we can make it through. He set an example. You can make it through. You can do this. He believes in us and you are destined for more. You know, I want to slow down for a second. I just want to imagine something. You can close your eyes if you want to. But for those that have accepted Christ and feel they've made that step forward, I want you to just close your eyes and think about your life. Think about the difference that you've made since you went all in for Christ. Think about the people it affected for the better. Think about your life and how it's been transformed and changed. Think about your small circle and just how you have helped other people along the way experience who Jesus is. And if your circle is just one other person, I want you to imagine this. One person gets it and then that person goes out and if they help one person, you see the net being cast. That looks like a world changer to me. Now, if you're sitting there and this may be your very first time thinking, you know, maybe I do need to do more. Or maybe I, I want to walk with Jesus. This sounds great. I want you to close your eyes and picture this now. Just think about the possibilities of your future. Think about the lives that are going to be changed or ones that you hope will be transformed by you stepping out in your faith. 
If you want a difference to be made, start picturing that right now. Start thinking about the help that you're going to bring into this world. You know, the only way we can make these things happen is with Jesus. We have to hang on to him. He is the only way to make these visions come true. He's the only way to make it through the trials in our lives. It's the only way to make it through those battles that we're going to face. When we focus on her, him and lean on him, we are prepared for what's ahead. We have began to strategize of what's going to happen. And with Jesus behind us, you can't be stopped. But Jesus isn't done with his lesson here. He wants to continue to drive this point home because he really wants to see who's there for him. In verse 31 through 32, it says, Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace with the enemy that's still far away. You see, the work of his kingdom is both a building and a battle. Each of these are usually costlier than what we first imagined. We need to assess the likelihood of success. Prepare now before we're met with disaster. You see, Satan loves when a believer's testimony is ruined because they give up at the first sign or second sign of trouble. Because we didn't consider the demands of what we were going to face. You not start a war without knowing what you're getting yourself into. There's so much intel given. There's so much strategic planning to move forward. You just don't do it on a whim. And when you're about to start your own personal battle, that means leaving it all out for the cause. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, it says, So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Jesus isn't just Lord of 10% of our income. He's not just watching for a fraction of our time. He is Lord of all. That is Jesus. He is Lord of all that we have. So let's put that in the chat right now. I need a declaration of who Jesus is. Is Jesus Lord of all in your life? If he is, put amen, put hallelujah, put yes, Lord of all. Whatever it takes, I want people to be scrolling through this feed and see who Jesus is in your life so they want that Jesus in their life. So Jesus is Lord of all. We need to understand that Christ is telling us that we must be willing. There's that word again. The sacrifice we have, he needs us to follow him. It's not saying you are going to give everything you have. It's not saying the moment that you step through, okay, hate everybody, got it. Now the next thing you have to do, give us everything you have. He's saying you need to be willing to start giving and being there and showing love. We need to be willing to give our coat to someone that's cold and in need. We need to be willing to stop playing video games or watching sports on end or shopping or spending as much time as we do on social media to instead help a neighbor, help some friends, encourage somebody. 
We have to be willing to share our food to those that are hungry. To spread love all throughout the world and to start taking an investment in this life. The cost of being a disciple is willing to submit our will to his and to share all that we have as needed. I know there's a lot of you listening that give so much. You give your heart, you give your time, and we thank you for that. But now it's time to encourage others as well to do the same thing, to show them that it is possible. Show others the way. Help teach them. Help Jesus out a little bit more. We have to be willing. And we close up our verses today with verses 34 and 35. It says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Look at this. It goes all the way back to cooking. This is a good little sandwich here. But salt is an amazing spice. It adds so much to a dish. And on top of it, yeah, you cook with it, but it also preserves things. It's pretty incredible. But you know when you have a dish, you're, a little cooking tip, you're supposed to under-season things. So you know when you have a dish and you try it and it's missing something, usually it's salt. That's how valuable it is. I used to have a chef that would go through and try every single thing. It's like, oh, it needs salt, it needs salt. It's just etched in my brain. But what if the salt loses taste and what good is it? You're not going to cook with it anymore. It's useless. It's saying you can't even throw it in a manure pile. And if you don't know what manure is, if you're not a country bumpkin, you've got to look it up. Google it right now. But if it's not good enough for that, oh my goodness. And on top of that, the thing that stuck with me is that salt will kill grass in the ground. So it's not even good for soil. It will mess so many things up and kill that area around it. No, he's not giving us a cooking technique right now. He's actually talking about our faith. He's talking about us being lukewarm, half-foot-in Christians and believers. If we've lost what we had to give, what, what good is it to him? He wants someone all in and ready to go. On top of that, you're not only affecting yourself if you're a lukewarm Christian, but I'm taking the soil thing to heart you may be killing other people's faith around you. You may be covering it and influencing them where you're stopping them from stepping forward. It's hard to digest and take home when you put your name in place of salt. What good is Dustin if he's useless? He can't be put anywhere. I'm going to stop others from being taking a chance to grow as well. I don't want to be thrown away. I want to be valuable for Christ. And I know each and every one of us want to be as well. So are you ready to go from warning signs to world changer? Listen close to the scripture because I want to drive this home that who's hearing this? Because the scripture says at the end of 35, Anyone with ears to hear, 
anybody, someone walking by, if they have ears to hear, if they're ready to hear this message, if you were listening, and I know you're listening for a reason, anyone that has ears to hear, this, I'm talking to you, and Jesus has a reason for it. Jesus is calling you to take a more hands-on approach in life. We desperately need it. I'm sorry, but I have a lot at stake in this game of life as well. This is my passion. This is my job. And I want to do it with as many people as possible. I want as many workers in the field that can be so we can cast that net and start bringing more people to Jesus. But on top of that, I'm strategizing for the future because I have a little boy and soon to be a little girl coming up in a world. And I want a world full of world changers that look more like Jesus than they look like Satan. There's a lot at stake right now. And Jesus has you listening to this message for a reason. How are we going to be a world changer if we're so focused on our own personal bubble and agenda in life? I want everyone to know what I think in my agenda. This is my political view right here. This is what I think about the virus. This is what I think of this guy. This is what I think of this lady. This is what I want to get my point across here. Why don't we stop focusing on us and actually focus on kingdom work? Why don't we start focusing on Jesus Christ and doing what he needs us to do instead of focusing on what I want to do? This is what I need to do in my time. We need to start doing things instead of fanning flames in the fire. I don't want to be superficial, unnecessary, fake salt anymore. I don't want to be one of those people following just a number in the crowd. So what do I do? How do I take this step forward to make a difference? How do I make a difference in the world? How do I become this world changer? Well, number one, you make Jesus number one. You take his words and you apply it to your heart. Is there any relationship that keeps you from Christ? Got to cut him out. Because with Jesus being number one in your life, you then get to spend a lot of time with him and you get to learn who he is. And in turn, he's going to teach you who you really are. You're going to spend more time alone with him in his word and prayer and devotion. You'll be fellowshipping with him every single day. You won't allow any other relationship to get in the way and take away from his time and his plans. You will confess and get rid of all the sins that you used to be the old you and start moving forward in who Christ wanted you to be. And you take up that cross and you start walking towards him. Is he the Lord of your plans? Is he the Lord of your thoughts? Of all that you do? Or could you selfishly be clinging to your plans still in your way and your ideas? We need to seek and please him. If you don't hate your own life and carry your cross daily, you're not his disciple. That's tough to hear. Is he Lord of your finances and possessions? Are you faithful in managing these for his purposes? Do you give generously and faithfully to his work? Or could the love of money be the thing? Could your love of things be taking you away from Jesus? Discipleship is serious business. To be a disciple and to complete the task, we must count the cost. Since our Savior suffered the rejection and agony of the cross, if we follow him, we must be prepared for the same treatment. Why do we want to go through with this? 
Why do we answer this call? Why do we step forward? Because I read this story, and I know how it ends. Jesus is sitting in his place of honor, surrounded by the ones that answered the call. There they sit at a place that, knowing they did all that they could. Because when I flip through this Bible and I read different scriptures, I see those world changers and how they impacted this world. They took his words to heart and just kept moving. They stepped over that warning sign and started answering the call and what he wanted them to do. They changed this world. And now it's our turn. It's your turn to write your part of the story for his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. And I know people are ready. I know people are ready to answer this call. And it's an easy step to take forward. The emotions will start to get us. But Lord, I ask for strength to carry us through. So if you want to get to know Jesus and walk closer with him, I ask you to say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. You are my Lord and Savior. I know that you came and you died for me and you rose again after three days and erased sin from my life. You are now the Lord of my life, the King of all kings, and I give my life to you. Lord, I am ready to move forward and be a world changer. I'm ready to just walk. So give me the confidence I need. Show me the gifts. Give me the time to spend with you and get to know you more. And Lord, I pray when we see the story unveil in our lives, we see it was all possible because of you and the difference that we made because we took a step today. It's your name we pray. Amen.